So uh, as you're returning your seats, just would a uh, couple things, couple things. You know, today we, we celebrate really, really good news. We do. We celebrate that, that Christ is risen. Uh, we celebrate that he's risen. He, is, uh, he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He has been uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Uh, he is, according to the scriptures, he is preparing a place for us. And the Bible tells us that one day he's coming again. And so uh, today we celebrate really, really good news. Uh, I want to tell you about something that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm excited about. Uh, we are finishing up, we're, we're finishing up a, a series on the book of Matthew this week, next week. Uh, later this year, I'm going to come back and do a couple of chapters from Matthew that we missed in this series. But two weeks from the day, we're going to kick off a brand new series called Building Stronger Homes. Uh, and in this series, uh, it, it, it's, it's basically about, um, really a lot of it's about how to make relationships work by, by being uh, relationally healthy. So we're going to be looking at that, talking about that. We're going to talk about how to bring out the best in others. So we will be talking a lot about parenting, but really a lot of what we're talking about applies to every area of our lives. Uh, but in this series, we're going to talk about the mission of, of the family. We're going to talk about uh, how to be the family. Uh, we're going to talk about our identity in Christ, our children's identity. Uh, we're going to look at a parent's greatest resources. Uh, we're going to talk about family pitfalls and also how to think about sexuality. So those are going to be a few things that we're going to be addressing in that series. We'll kick that off two weeks from today. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, part of what I look forward to that day as well is immediately after church, that's Cinco de Mayo. So immediately after that church, we're going to have a, we're going to have a Mexican feast here. So... Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I always look forward to that. I look forward to that. Um, I don't know about you guys. I, I don't know about what you like to watch in the way of movies. I don't know what you like to watch in the way of sporting events and stuff like that. But when I'm watching sports, I don't really enjoy watching a blowout. I mean, I don't. You know, and when, when two teams are really mismatched and someone's just clobbering the other team, that for me is like, Unless it's my team. If it's my, I'm usually on the receiving end because I root for the University of Arkansas. So, uh, but if it's my team who's clobbering the other team, I, I enjoy it. But otherwise, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I'm not a few, huge fan of the blowout. What I really enjoy watching, uh, at least unless my team, again, is on the receiving end of it, but what I really enjoy watching is I love watching the comeback. I love watching a team or an individual who comes back against what appears to be absolutely impossible odds and the comeback. And uh, this last week, there have been a couple of comebacks. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with this. Uh, but last Sunday, this guy, Tiger Woods, uh, after four back surgeries, four back surgeries, after going 11 years without winning a major uh, PGA tournament, he came back and won his first major PGA tournament in 11 years. And uh, he was down a stroke the day before, came back, won by a stroke. But uh, the, the New Yorker called it a comeback for the ages. Okay, so that was a comeback. Another comeback, any Warriors fans? Anybody here a Warriors fan? Okay, okay, this is not a comeback I enjoyed, all right? I actually went to bed on this one thinking the Warriors had it in the bag. I did. I did. They were up 31 points about midway through the third quarter. 
<coughs> they were up 31 points, and uh, I went to bed early that night. I was kind of tired, and uh, I, and I woke up the next day and I read they, they the Warriors were up 31 points. This was the biggest comeback in NBA playoff history, and uh, the Clippers and and I learned a lot of new Clippers jokes this week. Uh, the Clippers came back, which is pretty amazing. Uh, by the way, uh, what do you, what, what, is the, what do the Clippers do after uh, their favorite team wins an NBA championship? They they turn off their PlayStation Four. Okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, if you're a Clippers fan, sorry about that. Uh, anyway, but they came back. They came back and and they won. They won. But I don't think it'll happen today. All right, uh, I, I don't think it'll happen today. I hope not. Uh, so that was a comeback, uh, probably one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. Uh, in, in, you know, regardless of who you root for, this, this victory was pretty spectacular. It was Super Bowl 51, 2017, and uh, it was New England and, and uh, uh, Atlanta. I think they were playing in, in Houston that year. Uh, but but the, the, uh, Atlanta was up 28-3. to they were beating the Patriots 28-3. to uh, To me, it was looking like a blowout. I, I just, I, I thought, you know, this is crazy. I just did not expect it. And uh, what, what the Patriots did is they came back. They tied it up in regulation 28-28. They went into the very first playoff in Super Bowl history. And New England won uh, 31-28. to um, It was amazing. Yeah. Okay, there's our one New England fan. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, everybody's welcome here. Clippers fans, New England fans, all of us, okay? Arkansas fans, all right? Uh, and then perhaps one of the greatest, greatest uh, comebacks in all time. Uh, one of the greatest, yes, that's right, that's right. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. It looked like everything was hopeless. The rebellion was just getting crushed. They were getting absolutely crushed. Luke Skywalker did not stand a chance. No, not against the emperor, not against Darth Vader, did not stand a chance. But you know what he did? He fought valiantly, didn't he? He fought valiantly, and he he won over the affections of his estranged father, Darth Vader. and, uh, And together they defeated the emperor and brought balance back to the universe. It was amazing. It was amazing. And a long time ago, in a... Galaxy far away. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, uh, but what is it? You know, the, the, the point is basically this. What's the point? We love comebacks, don't we? We do. We do. We, we, we love comebacks. We love, that's the reason we love watching a really, really good movie. Uh, that's the reason we like watching a really, really good game. We, we love comebacks. We love seeing uh, a team come back. We love seeing a person come back. We love seeing a hero on a movie come back. It's just one of those things that we enjoy. But today, we celebrate, we celebrate the greatest comeback uh, of all time. We do. It, we, we, it, 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 it really doesn't even fall in the category of comeback. It is something far more spectacular than that. But that's what we... The thing is, it, it's really amazing to me how excited we can get about watching a sports team come back. It's amazing how excited we can get. But folks, we have nothing. There's nothing in this life that is more exciting than what Jesus accomplished on that very first resurrection day. 
Today, we're going to read from the Scriptures. We're going to look at the Scriptures, Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to it. If you have it on your phone, pull it up on your phone app. Uh, But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 uh, through 10. And also, I'm going to look at a couple other verses besides that. But we're going to be looking primarily at... uh, at Matthew chapters, or chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And I'd like to read this for you, okay? And we'll have it on the screen for you as well. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary probably, there were a lot of Marys in the life of Jesus, just in case you didn't know this. There were several, okay? And, uh, but most likely, I believe this is the Mary, the mother of Jesus. But Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb the tomb where Jesus lay, there was a violent earthquake. I mean, it was, and I've told you this before, you know these words, it was, when it says great, that's our word mega. Uh, And when it says earthquake, that's that Greek word of seismos, where we get our word seismic, like uh, seismic activity. But it it was a massive, it was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rode back the stone and sat on it. I wonder what that looked like. I mean, I wonder what it looked like seeing this angel and seeing this, you know, this, this massive earthquake. And, and this stone uh, is rolled back, is moved back. And, and uh, to me, I, I don't know, just, I think it's kind of funny that the angel sits on the stone, all right? So he, he sits on it, and, and his appearance, the Bible says, was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The the Bible says the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I mean, they fainted right there. I mean, I've been afraid before, but I've never fainted because I was afraid. I mean, these guys were so absolutely, these are battle-hardened warriors. These are guys who um, they had seen death. They had seen suffering. They'd probably killed a few people themselves. I mean, they had been through a lot. But, but nothing that they had ever experienced, no amount of training. They had spectacular training for their age, their time. I, I was reading the other day about the training that the, the Roman soldiers would go through in preparation to become a soldier. It was pretty, it was pretty demanding, very, very demanding. And, um, and so these guys had gone through all of this. They were well-equipped, but they were not equipped for what they faced uh, early that morning. So it says that they they shook, they became like dead men. Verse 5 says, The angel said to the women, the women show up, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I would encourage you, just circle that word afraid, okay? That's an important word here. It says, uh, he says to them, Do not be afraid, for I know, I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He is risen just as he, he said. Come and see the place where he lay. I mean, what would that be like to walk into this tomb and look and see the, the place? The other Gospels tell us that his grave clothes were laid out there and that the, the head cloth was separate. And in just walking in and, and seeing the clothes that he had been wrapped in, in this empty tomb, the place where he had been laid. And... Um, he says, and then the angel tells them, go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. The scripture says, now the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, afraid. 
yet filled with great joy. What does that feel like? They were afraid, but they were filled with great joy. And the Scripture says they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Uh, Jesus said, greetings. And, and they came to him, they clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, there's that word again, afraid. Did not be afraid. Circle that word. That's important. Okay? Did not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they'll see me. You know, this morning I want to share with you real quickly, just real simply, three major takeaways. The first one, very, very obvious. Very obvious. The first takeaway is simply this, is that Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. And in the significance, the importance of that for our lives today is absolutely huge. You know, nobody contested that the grave was empty. They didn't. In fact, if you read the verses immediately after this, the Bible tells us about how the soldiers, I mean, they were terrified. You know, with, if you were a Roman soldier and you were found derelict in your duty, you would die. I mean, that was, that was grounds for execution. And, and so what did they do is that they were pretty smart. Uh, they, they knew that the right people to go to would be the Jewish leaders because they knew that, that the Jewish leaders had something to lose by the, by the tomb being empty. And so what they did is they went to the Jewish leaders to ask for help, and the Jewish leaders told them, just, just tell everybody, here, we're going to give you a lot of money. We're going to take care of you guys. If news of this makes it to, to Pilate, to the governor, we're gonna, we'll speak up for you. Don't worry about that. But this is the story we want you to give people. We want you to tell people that his disciples came and stole the body. Now, that's a plausible, plausible uh, explanation that the disciples came. But, uh, but what I want you to think about for a moment is the nature of Christ's resurrection and the nature of his disciples. I mean, what did the disciples do when Jesus was betrayed? They all took off, you know. They're not the first ones who show up on Sunday morning. The last ones to leave Jesus when he's being crucified are the women. And the first to show up on that Easter Sunday morning were the women. It's the same ones. Uh, they were the ones who, who, who were showing up. And, and, and for a group of fishermen from Galilee to basically overcome uh, a, a Roman guard is a little bit... Well, uh, I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's just kind of unlikely, okay? It's kind of unlikely. It's a little bit like, I mean, could the Army of Indians defeat the New England Patriots? Okay, with the right coach. <laughs> That's right. If we get Aaron back out there on the field, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, is it plausible? Well, I kind of may, yeah, no, not really. All right. Just not real likely. Not, not real likely. Uh, is, is it likely that, that the disciples would steal the body and then would they be willing to suffer and die for a lie? Is that likely? Not real likely. Is it likely that the Roman soldiers took the body? Pretty unlikely. All they had to do was to settle this was produce the body. Is it likely that the Jewish leaders would steal the body? No, not really. Not really. But what we see is we see here an empty tomb, and we see two different explanations, one that's offered by the Jewish leaders and one that's offered by the early church. And, and, and what the Bible tells us is that Jesus was risen, 
In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and, and I, I'm a little bit of a history nerd. I mean, there are a lot of people who know a lot more about history than I do, but I'm a little bit of a history nerd. I studied history when I was in college. That's what I got my undergrad in. And uh, I know a little bit about historical method, and I know a little bit about how you go about writing history and stuff like that, just because I had to do it. It was part of what I did in, in getting my major when I was in college. But when you look at the way uh, Luke researches the, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, he was, a, he was a true historian. He used historical method, a little bit different from our methods, but pretty similar to it in most respects. And, and, and what, um, what, what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says about Jesus that after his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them, his disciples, and gave them many convincing proofs. You hear that? In other words, proof was very important for them in the first century A.D. They were a people who needed proof. They needed something that was convincing. They needed to be persuaded. They were not easily uh, duped uh, because their lives were on the line in terms of believing in a risen Christ. And what the Bible tells us is that, that, that Jesus uh, presented himself to them and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus did, was, it's not like he just appeared once or twice. And it's not like he just appeared to two or three people. But he appeared uh, again and again and he appeared with many convincing proofs. In fact, later, if you read through the book of Acts, you get to where um, you get to this part where where Paul is talking to King Agrippa, and while he's talking with King Agrippa, uh, and he's speaking with Agrippa, he says this. He says the king is familiar with these things. You know about what Jesus did. You know about the life of Jesus. You know about the miracles of Jesus. You know about the resurrection of Jesus. You know about the convincing proofs. He says, I am, uh, the king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. And, and, and the point here is this, is it's not like Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to two or three people in a couple of hidden locations. It wasn't like that. That when Jesus presented himself to people, it was very much in, in uh, like a public forum. And he did so in a very convincing way. Now, now, some of you may be like, well, what do you mean a public forum? What do you mean like a public forum? And, and Paul refers to this, and he talks about this, as he says to the Corinthians, he says, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And, and what was of first importance? That, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. He appeared to, to, to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500. So on at least one occasion, Jesus appeared with many convincing proofs to a crowd of more than 500 people. So if we try to write this off as this was just kind of a hallucination by, you know, three or four people or 10 or 12 people or 15 people, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. It was where Jesus was presenting himself to people again and again and again and again 
and again and again. And this kept going on, not just for a day or two, but for 40 days. And as this was going on, it was going on with convincing proofs, evidence, evidence for his generation, for his generation. Uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in appearing to people on at least one occasion, more than 500, more than 500. The first takeaway from this text is simply this, is that Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. And, and you know, I, I, I think about that and I think, you know, you know, some of us here, a lot of us here, for us, it's easy to believe in this. Some of us, maybe this is a little bit more challenging. You know, maybe it's a little harder for you to believe in this. And there have been times where I've struggled in my own belief. But this is where I'm at today. Oh, this is where I'm at. Where I'm at is this. This is what I know. I know I'm a sinner. I know that. I don't need the Bible to tell me that. My wife is very kind. She won't tell me that. Uh, I don't, my kids might, okay? But I, I don't need anybody to tell me, I know I'm a sinner. I know that. The other thing I know is I know I need a Savior. I do. I know that I could never make it to heaven on my own merit, okay? I could never make it to God on my own merit. I simply can't. It's just, I, you know, the, the thought that my good deeds are good enough to place me in God's presence is would be arrogance. I mean, it would be presumption to think that my good deeds could ever recommend me to God. What I know is I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. And I know I need a Savior who's like no one else, no one in this room. I need a Savior who is fully God, who can relate with God. I need a Savior who's fully man. I need that. I I don't know what you need. I know what I need. I need a Savior. I don't, need, I don't need self-help. I don't need self-help. I need a Savior. And I need a Savior who's fully God. I need a Savior who's fully man. And I need a Savior who's actually done something that is convincing that he has defeated the power of sin and death. What do you need? I need a Savior. And, and this is where I'm at, is... You know, I've done a little bit of study of comparative religions, not maybe not as much as maybe some of you, but I've done a little bit of study of comparative religions. And, and, and what I've found is I have found nothing else, nothing else that, that if, you know, this is what I would say. If you will not believe in Jesus, then who are what will you believe in? But the first takeaway that we have in this text is that, that Jesus Jesus is risen. The second takeaway is this, is because Jesus is risen, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Anybody here ever struggle with fear besides me? I do. Yeah, I I do. Sometimes I, I feel afraid. You know, I'm afraid about maybe it's something that one of my kids is going through or, or maybe it's something that I, I want to control that I can't control or, you know, I'm afraid of of. And, and, and I sometimes struggle with being afraid. But, but here's the thing is over and over again, we see in this text is, you know, the guards were afraid. They had something to be afraid of, by the way. Okay, they did. They had a really good reason to be afraid. I mean, think about this for a moment. I, I don't know when the last time you wa- it was that you saw an angel. I've never seen one. But when you see an angel and there's an earthquake that comes, 
listen, a great earthquake, a great earthquake, the ground is shaking. Is that cause for fear? Well, I mean, it feels kind of scary to me. And you look out for something to steady yourself, and what you're looking for to steady yourself with is shaking just as much as everything else, and, and you realize you've got nothing to lean on, you know? And then on top of that, on top of that, you're in a cemetery late at night, okay? And it's dark. Anybody been in a cemetery late at night, dark? Don't raise your head. I have. I have. It was really weird. We were doing some crazy. Yeah, it was, it was kind of goofy. Anyway, uh, but then let's say you're going there and you're in the tomb that you're supposed to be guarding is now open. I mean, this is scarier than a Stephen King novel, okay? It is like, this is a scary, you're in a scary place here, all right? And then all of a sudden you see this guy, an angel, and he has the appearance of lightning. I'd be afraid, all right? Whether or not I would have fainted, I'm pretty sure I would have used the bathroom, but, you know, it wouldn't have been pretty. They had something to be afraid of. The, the women who showed up at the tomb, they had something to be grieved about. Their hearts were broken. Their hearts were broken. You know, this, this man that loved them, loved them. I don't know if you know what that feels like to lose someone who loves you. But for them, it was real loss. In that moment, it was real loss and it was real grief. And it was real fear. And what Jesus, or excuse me, what, what the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And come see the place where he lay. And then he tells them to go quickly and to tell his disciples. And on their way, the Bible says that they, they, they left afraid. So they didn't quite get over the, the afraid part, okay? They left. They were still afraid. They left. Uh, they were still afraid, yet they were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. Um, they were filled with joy as they ran to tell his disciples. And then suddenly they meet Jesus. What would that be like? They met Jesus. That's right. And they see Jesus, and they fall down at his feet. They clasp his feet. They worship him. And Jesus says to them again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what makes you afraid. I don't know if, if, if it's you're afraid maybe of what may, people may think about you, if you're a Christian, or what someone might do to you, or if you're afraid of, of, of the future, you know, are we going to have enough for retirement, or, or if you're afraid of... Your kids, they're entering a stage of life and, and you're kind of afraid of maybe some of the decisions they're making or they're, they might make. I mean, there are all kinds of things. You know, maybe you're a high school student getting ready to go away to college and you're kind of afraid of what it's going to be like. you be away from home, away from all your friends, going into a completely new environment. Maybe that feels scary for you. But the thing is, is all of us know what fear feels like. Anybody tells you they don't, they're, they're lying, okay? Or they're smoking something. But anyway, but, but the thing is, is that, that the good news that we have is this, is that Jesus is risen, and we no longer have to be afraid. There's a third takeaway for us in this text, third takeaway for us here, and that's this, because Jesus is risen, we have joy. Because Jesus is risen, we have joy, and we can courageously share that joy with others. The, what the Bible tells us, 
what the Bible tells us about this, this early morning on that, that Sunday, the first Easter, it, what the scriptures tell us is that the, the women, they were, the scripture says, is, it says that, that, that they were afraid, yet they were filled with joy, verse 8. And in, in, and in verse 7, you know, the angel had invited them to come in and see where Jesus had lay. But then he tells them, go and tell. Go and tell his disciples. And then what happens with Jesus is in, in verse, uh, verse 10, he says the same thing. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they'll see me. And, and as followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, you have a joy. You have a reason for joy. You do. You have a reason for joy. And with that, you have a responsibility and a privilege and an opportunity to go and tell. To go and tell that, that just as those women in their world uh, had this opportunity to go and tell first the disciples and then others, that we have that same opportunity, that there are people around us that they need to hear the reason for our joy and the reason for our hope. And according to the scriptures here, that, that because Jesus is risen, uh, we have uh, we have joy, and we can courageously share that joy with others. As as followers of Jesus, we have a message. We do. We have a message. Our message is this. Our message is this: the tomb, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. He is risen. That's our message, and that through faith in Him, we can have life and we can have hope. We have a message. And as followers of Jesus, we have a mission. We have a mission. And that mission, according to the angel and according to Jesus, is to go and tell. Go and tell. Uh, this morning, uh, what I'd like to do is we've asked a member of our church family, uh, Jen Podovinsky. Jen, uh, would you go ahead and come on up, please? And uh, Jen... Uh, works in our office here, and she led our egg hunt last week. Did a fantastic job, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. And so we have asked Jen to come up and share her story with us. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> okay, so I've never done this before, so please be patient with me and I'm going to read what I wrote. Otherwise, I'll go on some bunny trails. <laughs> so um, when Gary and Matt asked me to do this, Matt actually gave me three questions to kind of answer, which helped me to rein in what I was going to talk about. So I'm going to, so I'm going to read them um, like they were asked. So the first one was, what was life like before Jesus? I had heard the name of Jesus spoken from the day I was born. I came from a family of believers going back generations. Despite all that, I didn't really get to know him myself until I was well into adulthood. Up to that point, I was clearly lost, searching for a love that only he could give me. And because I didn't recognize that, I fell short daily and spent all of my time putting my hope into the wrong things. The only times I would cry out to God was to tell him how he had once again let me down not realizing it was my own decisions that were hurting me again and again. When I graduated high school, things got really out of hand for me. 
That was the first time I experienced a deep, profound depression that would become a years-long battle for me. I had multiple unhealthy relationships with various guys. I began dabbling in drugs and binge drinking to the point of blacking out almost daily. I put myself in a lot of dangerous situations. When I think back about those years, I just have to praise God because he protected me from getting arrested, getting a DUI, going to jail, and especially from physically hurting myself or others with my poor choices. I was truly a lost sheep searching for a shepherd, but praise God, he never stopped pursuing me. I am so grateful for that. So how I met Jesus, I remember accepting Jesus as my savior at around six years old. Though we rarely went to church, my mom and grandparents always spoke about Jesus to me. As life went on, with every mistake and misstep, I felt like I had to ask to be saved over and over again. I guess I never really felt saved, nor did I feel like God really saw me or loved me, especially as my behavior spiraled out of control. Somehow, in the midst of all of this, I managed to find my husband. Though we loved each other, our marriage was not progressing in a positive direction. I was still drinking and partying heavily and spending most of my free time with my friends. He was working and would spend most of his free time fishing. We were far from connected, but we were committed to staying married. Once he left the military, he got hired on with corrections, and they sent us to Soledad, which translates to solitude. (laughs) And it's like solitude there. Um, I was devastated to be leaving everything I had become comfortable with, including all my destructive behavior. We went and we were miserable, but at least we were together. I quickly discovered that all those friends that I had devoted so much time to really didn't care about me like I had thought. They were gone. It was us against the world, and we began to become a united front. We started leaning on each other for what we needed day to day. After nearly four years of estranged marriage, we began to connect like never before. Then, in the midst of this, we received a worship CD from my brother. The message of those songs began to pierce our hearts. We would listen to it over and over again. Soon, we were expecting our first child, and once she arrived, we were both struck with this feeling of needing to feed her spiritually. Maybe we were lost causes, but we wanted her to have the opportunity to know Jesus. Why did I look up? Because now I lost where I was. (laughs) Okay, we began to look for a, a church and found one that we liked. However, just as we started to attend, we got word that we could transfer back up to this area. We were ecstatic about moving, but that was the end of our church going for a while. When Carly came, we decided that, we, that I would become a stay-at-home mom to her. As the months went by, I began to feel as though I was on an island. I didn't have any friends in the same boat as me. They were all either single and partying or working single moms. When Carly was around two, I was invited to a mops group, And it was there that I finally found my people and the support and connection I had needed so desperately. And one of those people is here today, my friend Ethel. She's one of the people that really helped me. um, She was at that group, and she really helped me um, to find my place and to realize I was not alone. And so I love her. Um, Anyway, I was shocked to meet Christian women who struggled with the same things as me. I had always thought they had everything together. Turns out they didn't. The difference was that they didn't rely on themselves, but instead put their hope and faith in God. After a few months of going to the group, we decided to try the church that was connected to it. It was there that I finally learned how much God loved me and that he loved me right where I was, stains and all. It turned out I wasn't too lost for him to find after all. 
Shortly after that, I made the decision to be baptized, and my life would never be the same. I finally had found the love that I had always been searching for. He had been there with me the whole time. I just never looked up to see his face. Um, And then the last question was, how has following him made a difference in my life? Change didn't just come overnight, and I have still encountered many struggles despite my relationship with Jesus. It's been a process and will continue to be for the rest of my life. As I look back, I can see how God has changed my heart little by little as I have begun to trust him and follow him. The more I learn about the heart of God, the more I love him and want to serve him. He has washed me clean from all my shame and has given me hope, peace, indescribable joy, love, and a purpose. I have found abundant life in Christ. He is the reason I live, the reason I sing, the reason I love, and the reason I serve. I am his, and he is mine. I want lost people to know that you can never be too lost or too dirty for God to use. All you need to do is invite him into your life, and a change will begin to occur. God delivered me from smoking 15 years ago, and just recently, after much prayer, he has delivered me from alcohol as well. I haven't had a drink since December 29th, and it is because of God hearing and answering my prayers. I praise God for all he's done in my life. As I have walked with him, I realized that I was not a mistake, but was intentionally created by him and for him with my own unique purpose that only I can do. The end. Y'all don't have to clap for me. Oh, you're not. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it was so interesting as I was listening to that. I was just thinking about uh, one of the songs that we were singing earlier today. Wow. singing our God is what we need to say he saved me he saved Jen and he has saved many people in this room And there's a joy. There's a joy in being saved. There's a joy in seeing God move mountains in your life. Whatever those mountains look like. Whether it's smoking, drinking, whatever it is. That God still moves mountains. And I don't I don't know. I don't know what the mountain is. Uh, I don't know what the mountain is in your life. Excuse me. 
I don't know what the mountain is in your life. But I know. I don't know what the mountain the mountain is in your life that needs to be moved. But I know the one who can move it. His name is Jesus. That's why we're here. And that's what we're about as a church. We're about following the one who is risen. And uh, we're about inviting other people to follow him with us. That's why we exist. That's why we do everything we do as a church. And uh, I don't know if you're here today and you've been in this church for a long time, and I'm glad you're here and you're, you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you have embraced this message, and maybe you're living the mission of Jesus with us today. And I am really grateful you're here with us and that you're participating with us but there are others of you here today. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church. And if this is what you're looking for, we would love for you to join us. But others of you here today, that what you need is you just need Jesus. You need, uh, you need him to save you. And if that is you, I would like to just encourage you to tell God what you need. Just tell God what you need. And I think it can look a little different for all of us. But I do think it looks something like this of where it's it for me it looked like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. That's what it looked like. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. There's nothing I've ever done or can do to recommend myself to you. I need you to save me because self-help's not going to get it done. Uh, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life and to forgive my sin, to give me eternal life. I want to put my faith and my hope in you and what you've done. And if you do that, God will save you. He will. He will save you. And there's all these incredible things that happen. Because you're going to be in Christ. And, and in, being in Christ is a great place to be. You know, it's better than... It, it, there's, 
being in Christ means there's no condemnation. Being in Christ means means that nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God. Being in Christ means that you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Being in Christ is better than anything this world can offer you. There's no promotion you can strive for in your career field that can compare with it. There's no nothing you can ever accomplish in life that will ever compare with it. It is just simple free gift that God has given to you. So today, uh, I'd like to lead us in a prayer, that a simple prayer, committing our lives to Jesus. And if any of you, if that is your heart, your heart's desire, I ask you just to pray it with me silently to yourself and to God, and God will hear you. God will hear you. Uh, and, and then we're going to close with worship. Let's Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. I've sinned against you. There's nothing that I can do that could ever recommend myself to you. I need you to save me. Thank you, God, for sending your son to die on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive my sin. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen.